Greetings, this is Olive, the Feminine Princess on the Art and Science of Femininity, sharing with you the treasures, riches, and secrets of feminine creativity and knowledge for women who follow Christ. Our next story comes from the book of 1 Samuel, and it is the story of Hannah. And you may or may not have heard of it, but it's very significant in the Bible. And I will share with you a secret of association that I have with her, and perhaps you can make this your secret as well. I would like to read the story to you, and as we read it, we'll come to some insights that the Word has to share with us. The book of 1 Samuel reads, chapter 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jephroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ethrathite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Alkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. I want to stop right there and just mention it's so interesting how most of us, we think when obstacles happen that, oh, it's the enemy, oh, it's the devil, oh, it's Satan and his demons. And sometimes it is us that are stopping our own path. But here clearly it records and states that the Lord himself was the one who shut up her womb. So I looked up shut up. It's interesting that word also means sealed. So it could also be interpreted the Lord sealed her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. As he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah her husband said to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? And so I want to stop there because there is a saying in Hebraic culture of one being better to the mother than a son. And the reason they use this comparison is because at that time in that culture, a son was a symbol of one who treats their mother beyond anyone else, even better than the husband. The son was supposed to be an extension of the family, an extension of the husband, and to treat the mother better than any other man in her life. So when he compares himself to this idea or this custom of a son treating her well, he compares himself not just to a son 
which is how the saying typically went, but he compared himself to 10 sons. That means he took this idea of the son treating the mother better than any other man in her life and multiplied that idea by 10 and said, I'm even better than that to you. So Hanab rose up after they had eaten in Shalom and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore, and she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thy handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head and so here i will reveal my own secret after i had waited for a husband for many years and i read this passage i said you know what perhaps it is the lord who is keeping me himself from meeting my husband in this hour until i vow a vow maybe as hannah vowed a vow and got her promise from the Lord, maybe I too should make a vow. So I vowed to the Lord, I said, Lord, if you would but give me a husband, I will surrender him to your purpose, to your anointing, to your assignment, to your destiny for him in my life. I will not get in the way of that, but only give me a husband. So I vowed a vow similar to Hannah. And after I vowed it, some years later, I did receive the husband. Now I also want to point out here that she has vowed not only to give her son to the Lord, but that no razor would come upon his head. And if you know anything about biblical references in that statement, she was referring to the Nazarite vow, and I've made a video on that. And I explain what the Nazarite vow is, and I've actually taken it myself. And in that video, I explain that as well. But she was submitting to the Lord, not only will I give my son to you, but I'll make sure on his behalf that he follows the Nazarite vow. And I go into detail in that video on what it is. So if you're interested, check that out. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli mocked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. So I want to point out there that a lot of preachers state that you have to be audible to make a prayer, that your prayers have to be heard, that your voice has to speak it out for it to be qualified as a prayer. But right here that debunks that sentiment. It says that she spoke in her heart, but only her lips moved. So her lips were moving, but her words were in her heart. And we know if we are familiar with the story that the Lord does hear her. So your prayers do not have to be audible for it to qualify as a prayer. You can follow the pattern of Hannah hears and just speak it in your heart, but your lips only move. And so Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long will you be drunken? 
put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thy handmaid for a daughter of Belial. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. I looked up the meaning of Belial and the expression of that in the Old Testament because it's sprinkled throughout being called a son of Belial or a daughter of Belial. And I wanted to understand truly what that meant. First of all, looking at that word Belial, it's actually a compound of two words. And the two words that it refers to is not and then profit. So it's not and then benefit. So it means not to profit or not to benefit. Um, uh, a loosely translated word in English would be worthless. So to call someone this would mean not necessarily that they are a daughter or son of a demon or um, Satan himself, but to say that they're worthless. It loosely has connotations would be associated with the demonic but it's truly meaning a worthless person so looking at a dictionary it described worthless as wicked or base so basically when one wanted to refer to another person in this Hebraic culture in this time as wicked or uh, worthless they would call them a son or daughter of Balaam and it could also refer to corruption. And so this is not a proper name of a demon, but it's an expression to describe the character of a person. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. So I wanted to state here that even though later on we discover that, that Eli's sons, and it's so interesting that he called her a daughter of Bilal, because Eli's sons had turned to corruption. They were actually wicked. So that term was really or that term should have really been applied to his own sons. It's interesting, he declared it to someone else but couldn't perceive that she was praying to the Lord but didn't even declare it to his own sons. It, it was like his perception was lost in that manner. So knowing that even though his sons had become corrupt and he had lost his perception, God still honored him in that role and position as high priest because we see here that he has blessed her with the desire of her heart. He has blessed her with granting her petition on behalf of the Lord. And so even though there's wickedness inside of this office, even though it's surrounded with evil and loss of insight and light of the Lord, the Lord still honors the actual position, the office that he created. And whatever was decreed from that office and from that position is still being honored by God. That's really, really important to know and important to understand when approaching or even trying to um, have understanding about how the governmental offices of this world how they work we have a microcosm of it here
And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. So obviously she believed in the priest's decree over her and his proclamation and declaration that the Lord has heard her prayer because she changes her continents and she starts eating again and I find it interesting to note that they referred to her as a handmaid and I discovered that the Bible calls women eight different things there are eight different terms to describe a woman in the Hebrew language while in English we only have a few it's either girl woman or lady <laughs> young lady young woman etc and they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife and the Lord remembered her now I think it's so interesting that the Bible memorializes that the Lord remembered her when I really believe using that word or that term for the Lord is anthropomorphic and that means taking a humanistic characteristic or experience and applying it to the experience we have with the Lord so that our minds in this realm can understand what is unexplainable and that's how I understand the word anthropomorphic because really when you think about God being omnipotent omniscient omnipresent he knows everything he says he knows the end from the beginning and he sees destruction or blessings far off so because we know the Lord knows what's gonna happen because the Holy Spirit tells us of things to come for it to say that he remembered I really believe that term is used to describe the experience of God spiritually or physically of God removing his hand removing his seal not shutting up her wound anymore and allowing Elkanah's seed to pass through wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel saying because I have asked him of the Lord and the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow but Hannah went not up for she said unto her husband I will not go up until the child be weaned and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever and Elkanah her husband said to her do what seemed thee good tarry until thy have weaned him only the Lord establish his word so the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. So I want to stop here and bring out the fact that she kept her word. She didn't just say, oh Lord, you gave me what I desired. And Lord, I made a vow to you. Now I'll go on with life. No, she remembered her exact vow. And I find that interesting because how many of us have made a vow? And we asked God in desperation for something we really wanted. And he gave it to us. Did we keep our word? Did we do the things we promised him that we would do once he gave that thing to us? 
And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine, and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. Also, what's interesting here is she didn't just say, Okay, Lord, this is my vow and I'm giving him to you and that's it. No, she said, This is sacred. This moment is such a beautiful, consecrated moment in my personal life. I made a vow, God honored the vow, and I'm about to present that back to God. I'm going to present to him my son. And with my son, I'm not just going to give him a loan, but I'm going to honor it with an offering. I'm going to give out of the substance of my own home, of my own hand, and share that with the Lord, consecrating this moment as sacred before him. And they slew the bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as I so liveth, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also have I lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. It's so beautiful that not only did she consecrate and make sacred her vow, her offering to the priest for the Lord, but she also gave her testimony. She testified of the goodness of God. And so this we can see as a proper response to God's goodness to us, to God keeping his promises to us, to God blessing us, is to testify to others of his goodness. She went back to the man who actually blessed her in her prayers on the Lord's behalf and said, remember those prayers that you blessed? Well, here's the result of it and I'm honoring that vow. I'm honoring that prayer and I'm giving him back to the Lord. And we see Eli's response is worshiping the Lord. So your testimony Whatever goodness God has shown you, as you share it with others, the proper response of those people who are also with the Lord is to worship Him behind your testimony. And so the next chapter is all about Hannah singing this praise to the Lord. And this praise includes prophecy. And this praise includes her joy behind what the Lord did. And it is her proper response behind the goodness of God. You know, when God is good to us, we see in Hebraic culture, whenever he blesses his people, whenever he delivers them, whenever he gives them a promise that he has proclaimed over them, their proper response was always to break out in praise, was always to start singing to him, was always to begin prophesying. And so we could see these three elements of praise, singing, and prophesying as a proper response to God's goodness in our lives. You can read Hannah's song on your own time. It's chapter 2. So Hannah teaches us a lot about femininity and so to review all the feminine things that she lives out in her life is that first she makes a vow. Now a vow is different from an ultimatum and I've made an ultimatum before and a vow is something 
precious and sacred and something that probably involves the will of the Lord within it. An ultimatum is very selfish. It's a, it involves the will of the self and it involves a threat as well. Uh, ultimatum says, I want this and if you don't give this to me, I will do that. So it involves uh, a threat to motivate a person to do something and that is not what the Lord desires. That is sin. And I've actually repented of making an ultimatum before and I did it in my immaturity, but I have done it before and I know the difference and that is wrong. A vow does not include any selfish motives. It includes a desire wrapped up with the will of God and making a promise behind that. And the Lord actually honors vows and prefers them over ultimatums. And that's one element of femininity we see here, that Hannah makes a vow, not an ultimatum. The second one we see is that she has a prayer in silence. Her prayer is a silent prayer. And so a feminine one can pray in silence with no guilt and no condemnation that her prayers have to be audible. If she is not the type to speak out loud or if she's in a place where she cannot speak freely, that then this passage shows us that a silent prayer will be honored by God. Another trait that separates her femininity from people in the world is that she is not a daughter of Bilal. And the opposite of a daughter of Bilal would be a daughter of God. And so we see that she does keep this lifestyle of living as a daughter of God's and not a daughter of Bilal or a daughter of the world. So she makes a clear distinction that she is not this daughter of corruption and wickedness but actually a daughter of goodness and so that's another way that we can be feminine is to make sure that we are walking out our femininity in being a daughter of God and not a daughter of this world another feminine thing she does is that she keeps her word she not only makes a promise but she keeps it and that's very feminine I think for one to break their promise would be very unfeminine and one would have very negative feelings toward a person who does that and so a feminine woman does not receive any type of negative feedback from people based on what she does so we know that it is feminine to keep your word because not keeping your word will elicit people to have evil feelings toward you and the bible says if it be possible live in peace with every man and let your yay be yang your nay be nay meaning anything beyond saying yes or no could be mixed up into an opportunity for sin to be invited in so it's best if possible not to make a promise or a vow but if you do make it please keep it that is a very feminine thing to do another feminine thing to do is that she not only kept her vow and gave it gave her son back to the Lord, but she gave an offering with it. She gave, and it's very feminine to give. I mean, we 
we as women, we give a lot. We give our time, we give our efforts, we give substance to others to bless them in, in various ways. So it's a, a very feminine characteristic to give. And also you are reciprocating the image of the Father because He is a giver and He is the ultimate giver in giving His Son for our lives. So when you give, you are actually demonstrating a trait of God, also living in true femininity. Another feminine thing she does is sharing her testimony. I'm reminded of a New Testament story where a Samaritan woman at the well met Jesus. Jesus told her all about her life and she went out to the whole town and told everybody. She testified of what Jesus told her, of what Jesus shared with her about her own life. And so I see a New Testament story and an Old Testament story of both of these women testifying of the goodness of God and the thing that they share in common is that they're women. So it leads me to believe it's a feminine trait to testify of the goodness of God to others. The last feminine thing that I saw that Hannah demonstrated was that she sang. She sang as a response of God's goodness and singing in response to God's goodness is a feminine thing because we've seen Miriam do it. We've seen Deborah do it. We've seen all these women who after they got delivered and promised and blessed and had good things from the Lord, break out in song, break out in praise. So it looks like singing after God has done something wonderful to you is a feminine trait and response to God's goodness. Now there are three Hebraic cultural things that I want to bring out here that we touched upon before I just want to review them. And the first one is that the Lord moves and works and rules in the children of men. You know, there's a scripture that talks about that and it also says that he controls the heart of the king and so it's a very hebraic thing for god to interfere into the affairs of man for his own will and his own purpose and his own desire to be done on earth so we've seen that throughout the scriptures god interfering it says god was behind this thing god did this thing God was doing this. God is repeatedly showing up in the affairs of man even before man asked him to. So that is a consistent thing in Hebraic culture for God to intervene and rule and work in and move in the children of men. Another Hebraic thing we see here is this idea of the Nazarite. And the Nazarite vow, again, I've made a video behind that. Um, but this video asks you to consider as a feminine woman taking the vow. Now this is nothing to take lightly. It's definitely something to pray about and to consider before you take it because once you take it, that's, that's the vow you've taken. You cannot get out of it unless you ask God to break you from the vow. And that would be unusual, but it is definitely something to heavily think about before you take. But if you take it, it will greatly enhance your femininity because the nature of this vow, the three elements and everything that comes with it, 
will bless your feminine walk. And so if you're interested, I would seriously consider talking to the Lord about it and watching this video so you can learn more about that. The last Hebraic trait that I want to share here is this idea of God's goodness requiring a response from us. I mean, God is so good to us in, in a plethora of ways. And so that goodness demands a response. It demands praise. It demands singing. It demands prophecy. And so just a simple thank you would be the beginning of the proper response to God's goodness to us. Illustrations throughout the scriptures on how to properly respond to God's goodness. I looked at what I can learn from this passage scientifically. So I went to restorerelationships.org and I found what provoking meant because I wanted to understand what Panina did to Hannah. You know, she did it so much that Hannah started crying behind it. She wept so intensely. So I wanted to know what provoking was that would cause this intense response from Hannah. You know, is it just coarse jesting? Is it japing? Is it mockery? What is provoking? And so I discovered provoking here is actually using words directly or indirectly to carry out emotional abuse to elicit a certain response. And so we see that played out here. We see Panina using her words to emotionally disturb Hana and cause her to weep profusely and her deriving pleasure in that, almost seeking it repetitively. And so I found the one doing this, the one provoking, is actually the uh, psychotically disturbed one because she's the one provoking and demanding a response from her provoking. I thought that she had some issues that needed tending to. And so this website went a little deeper and said that the one doing the provoking, the provoker, is the one who's actually designed to control another person. And so I looked in this passage and I thought, why would she want to control Hannah? I mean, I know that two women in the house, of course, there might be some um, competitive spirits going on there. But the Lord showed me something deeper. Every time Peninnah would demonstrate cruelty to Hannah, their husband, Elkanah, would demonstrate goodness to Hannah. And so Peninnah would see that and probably became jealous behind it and would treat her even more cruel. And that caused Elkanah to treat her even better better than 10 sons. So it's almost like this cycle going on because Peninnah could not control her husband and how he felt toward Hannah. I mean, it even says that he gave her bigger portions than Peninnah. So if he gave her bigger portions and she cannot control his feelings toward her, his treatment of her, she went to something else that she felt she could control, which was Hannah. So that, I believe, is the nucleus of her 
ill treatment of her. And so the more she treated her ill, the more Elkanah treated her good. And so we see this cycle repetitively. And this site described that one who wants to control someone, once they elicit the type of response that they were seeking, that they derive pleasure in that response. And so I really think that Panina had some psychotic mental disturbances going on there. Elkanah was not blind, so I believe he sensed that, and that could have been one of the driving forces that caused him to treat Hannah even better than he would have if Panina did not treat her so poorly. So the last thing I found really interesting is that he chose both of them. He chose Panina and he chose Hannah. He chose both of them to be his wife. And I gotta believe that he saw some of their attributes even before he was married to them. He probably saw what was inside of Panina and he saw what was inside of Hannah. But yet he chose them both anyway. Why is that? See that the Lord worked in this situation. We see that the Lord had his own purpose in this situation and which is why he sealed up the wound of Hannah and caused her to seek him for the child and actually make a promise behind this child so that God's will and God's desire and God's purpose can be done in the earth through this child. So we see that God using this situation because like I shared earlier that God says that he rules and moves in the children of men. Why would he do this? For his own will and for his own purpose. So we can actually use this story to look back in our own lives and say, Hey, Lord, why did I experience that? Why did you allow that? You didn't touch this person. You didn't touch this thing. You didn't touch this circumstance. You allowed it to happen. Why? Well, the story shares with us why. Because it was probably going for a greater purpose in us and for us. We probably made a promise or made a vow or made a commitment during this thing as we were seeking him about this thing. And we probably made some shifts and changes and alterations in our own lives and lifestyles behind this thing. And that was probably what God was going for. So he probably allowed this to happen to make a change in us and to also bless us with whatever it is we're praying for, but to have his will be done through it. So we can actually thank him for these situations and we can pray now about these things. Lord, I and the women who are watching are coming before you now. Bless you for the story of Hannah and for teaching us so many feminine characteristics that we can learn from her. So many things that you expect of us as your followers, as your children, to respond to you when you're good to us and in teaching us how to be a daughter of God. Lord, I ask that through this story, you draw us close to you and bless and enhance our femininity with this story and the other stories you have blessed us to learn and that you cause us to make the changes in our lives that you are seeking and that we align our desires with your will lord so that you can influence the earth with your plans and Lord, now I ask for any woman who wants to become close to you, Christ, that you 
uh, bring her close to you, that you use situations and things and people to cause her to come so close to you, especially in this hour. And if there's any woman out there who does not know Christ and wants to know Christ, all she has to do, all you have to do is to repeat out loud or say a silent prayer in your heart that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that you believe He came only on earth to save you, to save your soul from sin, from the penalty of death, and that He died for you, and that He rose again. He rose again in power and is seated by the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us for a season, for us on earth and that you believe in him and that you want to live wholeheartedly for him. Your mind, your soul, and your body, you submit freely to him and that you ask the Holy Spirit to come into your spirit, to come into your life, to come into your heart and to fill you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you may be led in good paths, that you may hear a voice that tells you how to live, that you may walk in the ways of God and that you may be saved from every plague on this earth that is coming upon it that you may live out a specific purpose and destiny that God has for your life and that you do with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and to serve him fully then you are saved and may God bless you and may you learn of his ways by reading his word and seeking his face always these things we pray and that you bless our day as we meditate on this story of Hanal. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's program was sponsored by Olive Swan. You can visit her at oliveswan.com, browse her store, Pink Peach and Cream, and request a consultation or workshop in your local area. Subscribe to her blog at thefeminineprincess.com, watch her YouTube videos, and find the podcast notes at theartandscienceoffemininity.com.